0: All right, so we are in 1 John 2, continuing in 1 John 2, verses 18 through 27 tonight. Just to catch you up on what we've talked about so far and to review for those who've forgotten. No offense, because I usually struggle to remember what I preached about last Sunday, so I I, I get it. But uh, 1 John is a book written to assure us of our salvation, to help us know that we are saved. Uh, not by telling us we're good people, but by telling us that God is faithful. Telling us how to walk in the light so that we will not stray from him, so that we will not ever fear for our own salvation, but will know that we're loved. And to walk in the light, this is what we've talked about so far, we have to repent and confess our sins. That's not just something a Christian does the day they come into the family of Christ. If you were raised in a church like this that had a similar theology and practice, you were told you need to be born again. You need to accept Christ as your Savior. You need to be baptized. And all those things are true. Unfortunately, a lot of us somehow got the message, maybe unintentionally, that that's the only time we need to repent. But that's not the case. We need the gospel every day going forward, not because otherwise God's going to cast us out but because we need to stay in good communication and good relationship with Him. And so that means every day examining your heart. That means every day coming before the Lord with a humble heart and saying, Lord, uh, here are the ways I know I failed you. Here are the the areas where I'm, I'm still not totally yielded to you. Repent and confess your sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Another way we walk in the light is by loving one another. That is something that is very much on the mind of God. We we, we see it in every book of the New Testament, and we hear Jesus pray about it uh, the, the night before he's arrested. Love one another. That's the sign. That's how you know you belong to the family of God, is you have a love for his family. And then last week we talked about rejecting the world, not meaning the planet, not meaning people, but meaning the system of thought, the philosophy, the values that predominate in our culture today and realizing that those those values and those philosophies didn't come from Christ learning to discern okay i hear people say this i see people embracing this but i know that doesn't square with what i'm told by jesus because we have the holy spirit because we have the bible and then we can use those to uh, to to measure Things we're being told and whether they are true or not. And so to walk in the light means that many times we're gonna stand out, we're gonna be swimming against the flow, we're gonna seem odd by comparison, but that's okay. That is the way to live. So tonight we're gonna to talk about holding on to the faith. And how do we do that? We all know of people, sad to say, we all know of people who are raised in church but now no longer walk with Christ. Some of them made public commitments to Christ and now they don't seem to have any evidence of his presence in their lives or any allegiance to him. Some of them, uh, if you talk to them, would say, oh, I'm still a believer. I still pray. I still believe all the same things. I've just gotten out of the habit of going to church or maybe I've been burned by the church. Uh, others will tell you, I, that's not me anymore. I, I used to believe this way, but I don't anymore. And this is a hard thing to talk about because some of those people are people that you and I love. They're members of our family. They're close friends. They're people that we used to serve God alongside, and it's hard to understand. Now, here's what I need to make clear. And this is, this is what I think Christians struggle with. Scripture never tells us a definitive way to know whether someone is saved or not. I can't look at someone, let's say uh, you have a loved one, or let's say I have a loved one who was once in church, was once active, got baptized, made a profession of faith, and now they seem to want nothing to do with Jesus. How do I know whether they're going to heaven when they die or not? The answer is I don't. There's no sure way to know. Only they and God know, and maybe not even they. Only God knows. Scripture doesn't give us a way to tell. But what Scripture does tell us is that we need to change our thinking. And this is hard for us to wrap our minds around. So much of our preaching, so much of our evangelism is focused on, don't you want to go to heaven when you die? And yet when you sit and read the New Testament, it's amazing how rarely that is presented as the motivation. Now there's all kinds of information about heaven. If you're reading my daily devotionals now, you know That's something I'm excited about, and there's all kinds of information about heaven, but you just don't see Jesus or the apostles standing up in front of crowds and saying, you people are going to go to hell unless you pray this prayer. Or don't you people want to go to heaven when you die? Here's what you need to do. Instead, what you hear them saying over and over again is, I have come to bring you new life. I have come to bring you a fresh start. Don't you want to follow me and experience the kingdom of God? So what we need to do is leave eternity up to God. And just say, hey, I trust him. I know that God's even more merciful than I am. If my loved one dies and I never see them repent, I'm just going to trust that he's going to do what's right because He's he loves them more than I do. He's even more merciful than I am. I leave that up to him. But in the meantime, I'm going to do everything I can to help them get back to Christ. Not just for the sake of eternity, But for the sake of their life right now. Because they're missing out on life as it was meant to be. That should be our focus. They're making bad choices. They're they're trying to find their happiness in the things of this world, and it's not going to work. So pray for them. Pray that God would send someone into their lives who they will listen to, because chances are they won't listen to you, because you're their grandfather, or their uncle, or their sister, or their niece. And they don't like to listen to family. So pray that God would send them someone they would listen to. And do everything you can to help bring them back to Christ. Whatever that means. But as far as whether they're saved or not, you can't know. You just have to say, I want you back home. Because that's where life is found. That's where abundant life is found. So scripture tells us, instead of giving us a guide to knowing whether somebody's saved or not, and scripture tells us over and over again how to know we are saved, but even more importantly, how to keep that from happening to us, how to keep, how to keep from being one of those people that strays away and that spends years wandering like the prodigal, mm-hmm. wasted years away from Christ. And that's what I want to talk about here. How do we how do we hold on to the faith? How do we keep from straying? How do we Keep from becoming one of those nuns, in N-O-N-E-S, that are so prevalent these days. So uh, let's look at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, They would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So, a couple of things right from the get go. First of all, if you want st- to if you want to keep from falling, stay away from false teachers. That is the first thing that John focuses on. Watch out for people who fill your mind with false doctrine. This is why churches have to be so careful. This is why churches have to be so vigilant. I had uh, a. A good friend, he's now with the Lord, but he pastored a church. And he found out that the the teacher of the young adult Sunday school class, you know, this big, big, massive young adult Sunday school class, a very dynamic guy, very popular guy. He once had been in ministry himself. Everybody loved him. But he had begun teaching something that was terribly untrue. We're all adults, so I'm going to tell you what he was teaching. He was teaching, he made the comment that Scripture says that uh, uh, husbands and wives are to satisfy one another and to do their marital duties, and so husbands, if your wife isn't satisfying you, God understands if you have to look elsewhere for that. He said that in Sunday school. But well, word got back to my friend, and my friend told him, you can't, you can't teach him. Well, his dad was chairman of the deacons. This was no small thing. Fortunately, the dad took the pastor's side, but it still caused incredible pain for him to do that. There were people angry at the pastor because they loved this man. And yet this is what we have to do. We have to be vigilant. We have to be on top of things. Not out on a witch hunt, not, uh, not trying to parse words and, oh, I think this is what he was implying. But when you hear clear false teaching, it has to be confronted. That's no time for niceness, all right? So a couple of things he says here that just perk up our interest right off the bat that at first don't seem to have anything to do with false teaching is, first he says, it is the last hour. Now, if you listen to some teachers, they will tell you the apostles believed that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. And I passionately disagree. I understand why I think that. But you have to read things in context. You have to know what John, what Paul were talking about when they talk about this sense of urgency, when John talks about the last hour. That that word hour doesn't refer to 60 minutes in time. It doesn't even refer to a specified period of time. It just means this is the last stage. So you think about it this way. There was a stage of human history where few people knew god and then god came to abraham and said i want you to make me known to the whole world through your people through the people who will come from your line and they will they will bless all peoples of the earth and abraham said okay i never met you before but i believe in you and so he did and then the guy comes to moses and he says okay you're the children of abraham but you're in slavery i'm going to use you to break y'all out of slavery and i'm going to give you the covenant the law you're going to live by it. you're going to be a nation of priests and It shows the whole world how good I am. And Moses said, okay. And the people said, well, sign on that dotted line. And that was the beginning of that next stage. And so on and so forth until you get to Jesus. Jesus comes and inaugurates the new covenant where God writes his law in our hearts, where we know him face to face, where we accept it. Through grace, we come into his presence without a priest because Jesus is our great high priest. This is what John's talking about. He's saying there's no more statements. That's it. The next time God comes down to this world, it's gonna to be to turn off the lights, essentially. We are in the last hour. John's not saying he's gonna come back any minute now. John didn't know when he was coming back. He knew what Jesus had taught in Matthew 24. Nobody knows the day or the hour. He just said, This is it. This is there's no more revelation. You've got the Word of God, you've got the Holy Spirit, you got the promise that Christ is returning, so now's the time. Turn to it before it's too late. But, but his point is, you've heard that an antichrist has come. Now immediately again, that perks up our ears because uh, there's a whole lot of Christians that don't really read the Bible, but they listen to preachers. I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. They listen to preachers. And so they hear all these stories about, uh, this is the way the end times are going to go. I'm going to hurt some people's feelings. They listen to John Hagee, for instance. I don't know if you've noticed, but John Hagee's got it all figured out. The whole end times, it's all figured out. Is he right? I seriously doubt it. Not, nothing personal against him, but I don't think anybody's got it all figured out. My point is people will sit and listen to preachers and think, oh, okay, well, that's the way it's gonna go. They've never actually read the scriptures. They hear all this stuff about the Antichrist. Mm, well, I think the Antichrist is this politician. I think the Antichrist is is uh, is this entertainer. Well, I think the Antichrist is my ex-wife. You know, they can come up with all this stuff when they'd be shocked to learn that the only time the word Antichrist is actually used in scripture is in First and Second John, just a handful of times. That word is not mentioned in Revelation. It's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not going to be a, a world figure that comes along someday and tries to persecute the church and lead people astray. I believe there will be. Um, in in Matthew, Jesus calls him uh, false Christ. There will be false Christ to arise. In Daniel, he's called the abomination of desolation. And, In 2 Thessalonians, he's called the man of lawlessness. In Revelation, he's called the beast. If those are all referring to the same person, and I think they are, then that day is coming. That person is coming. However, we are never commanded to try to find out who they are. We're never commanded to, uh, you know, figure out who they are and, and oppose them. All we gotta do is stick with Jesus and we'll be fine. You don't need to worry about who the beast is. If you're in Christ, you're safe in him. Maybe not safe from persecution. God didn't promise us that. But you're safe from damnation. You're safe from being torn away from the family of God. So, so stop with all the speculation, all right? That doesn't do us any good. It just makes us look like fools. John says, you've heard that this guy's coming. But I'm here to tell you, antichrists of another kind are already in the world. And he's talking about false teachers. He's talking about people who deny that Jesus is was really the Son of God. Or people who deny that Jesus came in the flesh. That was a a heresy in in, in New Testament times, in the apostolic era. People would say, oh, I believe Jesus was divine, but he wasn't really human. He was just a spirit. Or, I I think I shared this with you the first week of this study. He came into this man named Jesus (laughs) and kind of possessed him and then left so it was Jesus who died on the cross, but not the Christ, not the Son of God. That was a heresy in those days. It was taught in those days. John is saying, watch out for people like this. Watch out for them because they will lead you astray. Now in verse, verse 19, when he says, um, they went out from us but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Be careful with that. I've heard people misuse that to say, well, if this person used to go to church here, but now they don't, that means they were never really saved. That's not what verse 19 means. That is not what it means. By the way, if any church says we're the only church, leave that church. You'd be doing really well to just walk away. Um, If I ever start saying that, please put a bullet in my head, okay? That would be far better than me continuing to (laughs) <laughs> to uh, impugn our Lord. But um, what he's saying here is these false teachers, I know you're devastated because these guys used to be encouraging to you and you used to look up to them and now they've gone away and they're teaching their own little false gospel. Well, what you need to understand is if they are able to embrace that stuff then they were never really part of us. John is helping <coughs> tamp down the anxiety and sorrow that these churches feel. But he is not saying, if you leave my church, you will never be sick. Now, this next part, before I get into the second point, I just got—I have to give you this disclaimer, all right? I'm gonna say these same things Sunday. This next part I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna say the same thing Sunday. It just so happens that what we're talking about Sunday, which is legalism in the Book of Colossians, ties in with what we're talking about here. Because as we talk about false teaching, as we talk about the reasons people get upset in church, we need to talk about when, how we know whether a disagreement is worth arguing about. Whether a, a disagreement is worth uh, casting someone out of the church or saying you can't teach a life group anymore, how do we know? So, all right, you ready? So you still have to come someday. but you'll hear this again. There are three kinds of issues people have in churches, I think. There are primary issues, there are secondary issues, and there are tertiary issues, which is a fancy way of saying third place, alright? So primary issues are those that have to do with who God is and or how we get saved. The Bible you can tell it's a primary issue because it's about one of those two things, and the Bible is crystal clear. Anybody who reads the Bible looks at it and says, okay, the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus was a real human being who was also fully young, who was born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life, who died in a way that atoned for our sins, and then rose again on the third day and is coming back someday to judge everybody who's ever lived and rule over earth. The Bible is clear on those things. If you can read the Bible and not see that, it's because you're intentionally saying, well, I just don't believe that. Those things are primary. Anyone who does not believe those things about Jesus, we can look at that person and say, I love you. You're not my enemy, but you and I are not brothers and sisters. Any church that doesn't believe that, we can look at them and say, I don't wish you any ill will, but we can't cooperate with you. And uh, this is, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, I don't think I will, but this is why, for instance, if someone came to me and said, Hey, I want to join your church, and I say, Well, what is your religious background? If they said, Well, I'm coming from the Mormon church, we have to have a real conversation. Because what that Religion believes about Jesus is very different than what we believe about Jesus and what we believe about Jesus is primary This is what you uh, to put it another way primary issues are the kinds of things that if they ever became illegal It would be worth going to jail To protect right it'd be worth dying for Then there are secondary issues secondary issues are issues where they're important, but you know there are people who disagree with you who are just as committed to God, just as committed to the authority of the scriptures. They just read the same scripture as you do and get something different out of it. Because scripture, there are there are doctrines, there are teachings where you can say, okay, I see where you're coming from there, but I see it this way. And I'll give you an example, and that's baptism. Baptism, I think, is a secondary doctrine. Is it important? Yes. If if a parent comes to me in our church and says, hey, we just had a baby, we'd like to get her baptized, I will say, Well, I'm sorry, but we don't baptize infants and we don't baptize by sprinkling. We believe that baptism, biblically speaking, is through immersion and for people who have made a conscious commitment to Christ. Hmm. We do parent dedications. If you want to do that, great, but we don't baptize in that situation. Now, if they disagree with me and they say, no, we, we believe that children need to be baptized and that's how a parent dedicates them to the Lord, uh, and we're gonna go to this other church here this Presbyterian church, Lutheran church, or uh, whatever the case may be, I will wish them well. If they go there and and I see them later and they say we are flourishing in this church we're doing great we're growing in Christ I'll say hallelujah we're still brothers and sisters if I see their pastor we hang out we're, we're having a great time we get to heaven God will tell us who was right on that that's a secondary issue sometimes it separates us into different churches but it doesn't separate us as brothers and sisters and then there's the tertiary issues can we be honest This is about 95% of what Christians disagree with in churches. These are the things we get upset about, sad to say. These are the things that churches split over. These are the things that pastors get fired over. These are the things that people get hot under the collar and leave churches over, which just shows our lack of maturity. Because a tertiary issue is something that you can't really make a solid biblical argument about it, because it probably doesn't even mention it in Scripture, or if it does, It's certainly not a major emphasis or something that speaks definitively, and I'll give you some examples. Worship music. We all have our preferences, we do, and that's fine. If you love old hymns, I do too. If you love what they play on KSBJ, I do too. If you love when you go to the, the mega church or to student camp and the lights are off and, and the fog machine is on and it's so loud you can't even hear it, if that's how you worship God, hallelujah. I even enjoy that. I don't want a steady diet of it, but I enjoy it. If you like black church, I've been there. That's fantastic. Again, I don't know if I can do it every week, but it's beautiful. You want to go to the Church of Christ where they sing a cappella? Good for you. It's beautiful. I don't have a voice for it. If you like high church, where every hymn is at least 500 years old, and it's big pipe organ, and it's, it's, you know, very antiquated words, and it just makes you feel lofty and, and sacred, and okay, good. There's nowhere in scripture where you can say, well, this one's the right one. So to raise that to a primary issue is legalism. To raise that to a a, even to a secondary issue that says you have to like what I like or you should leave—that's not of Christ. Give you another example. This might even get me in more trouble. (laughs) Secular politics. I want the members of my church to be active, to 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 pay attention, to pray, to vote, and to vote in an informed way. I have my opinions about who's right, who's wrong, and what issues we should vote on and all that, but, and I'll tell you what the scriptures say about abortion, about poverty, about racial reconciliation, about uh, sexuality, about gender, about all these issues, but I don't think you can make an argument that says every Christian should vote this way. And I think if you think so, you're not reading the same Bible I am. And when you make that a primary issue, You're using the scripture in a way that it was not meant to be used. You're dividing the church unnecessarily, and you're driving people away from the gospel because you're saying, if you don't vote like I do, you can't have my Jesus. This is a big problem in churches today when we take something that is important, but it's not an emphasis of scripture, and we make it a primary or even a secondary issue. All right, one more example, and that's end-time scenarios. All right? I mentioned John Hagee a moment ago. Again. He's a brother. I don't mean to tear him down, but he is convinced he's right about how the end times are going to happen. If you've ever watched him on TV, you know this is, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is what the beast—probably the horn of this beast represents, etc. Okay, fine, maybe you're right. I happen to disagree with his outlook. And if he went to our church, we ought to be able to worship together. If you agree with everything he says, we ought to be able to worship the other. Because that's not about who God is. That's not about how you get saved. And guess what? Even if both of us are wrong, Christ is still coming back and we'll both be happy. So that's a tertiary issue. Is it it something that's fine to talk about and discuss? Absolutely. Should you study it? Sure. I, I commend that but don't make it a a, a test of faith. All right, have I spent enough time there? The name of Jesus is the ultimate primary issue. That's the whole reason I just went through that whole thing. The name of Jesus, in other words, what people say about Jesus, what people believe about Jesus, is the ultimate primary issue. Who was he? What did he come to do? And how do you get saved? Through him? That's what we should defend at all costs. That's what we should preach. So, if you want to stay walking in the light, watch out for false teachers. That means you know what's important and you hold the line on those primary issues. All right. Number two, abide in the truth, which kind of sounds like what I just said, but it's different. So verse 24, he says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. What you have heard from the beginning, when he says, what you have heard from the beginning, he's talking about the teaching of the apostles. He's talking about the gospel, the faith once delivered to the saints, as the apostle Jude calls it. What was written down in scripture, he's talking about the word of God. What he's saying is, don't ever stray from that. If, if you want to if you want to stay with Christ, if you want to keep following him and walking in the light, then abide in that truth. And what does that mean? That means never stop learning it, never stop teaching it, and never stop meditating upon it, and never stop sharing it. We should be steeped in the Word. Again, I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on a Wednesday night when it's 103 degrees outside. You came here to hear the word of God, so I know you believe this. Don't ever lose that hunger for more knowledge, more understanding of the truth. Let me just hit you with this, though. Every Christian ought to ask themselves the question, who is shaping the way I think? Remember, uh, Romans 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not saying that you can only listen to uh, Christian preachers, you can only read the Bible, that you can't interact with any other media. What I'm saying is, ask yourself, who who do I when I'm when I'm sitting there in my quiet moments, whose words am I pondering in my head? What do I get excited about? Another way to say it these days is, what do I like to share on social media? Right? Who do I, I I cut out a little quote and I, I email it to all my friends. Right? I holler out to my wife or my husband and, and say, Hey, listen to this. What do I get excited about? Who's shaping the way I think? Because here's what's ha- what happens to Christians increasingly. We get to where we don't really read the Bible anymore, but that's okay because I listen to preachers on the radio or, or on TV or, or, or maybe on podcasts. That's good, Right? not reading the Bible for myself, but they're preaching the Bible. And then we get to the point where, well, I don't really listen to preaching anymore either much, maybe on Sundays occasionally, but half the time I'm daydreaming in there anyway. But but you know, most of the people I, I listen to, who shape my thoughts, well, I think they're Christians. They claim to be Christians. You know, this guy on the radio, this guy on this podcast, or, or this guy I read on the internet, he says he's a Christian, so I think I'm good. And then you get to the point where you're, I don't know if this guy's a Christian or not, but he agrees with my values, so I'm gonna let him tell me how to think. That's a dangerous direction to go, although it feels safe, because it's affirming all the things that seem important. You need to get back to the actual word, the actual Bible. What that's gonna do is, it's not gonna feel as comfortable as that guy on the radio or the podcast who, who agrees with all the ways you already think. And affirms all your values. Because a minute ago when I said you can't definitively prove God wants you to vote one way or another, the Bible, I think, equally infuriates both conservatives and liberals. And and if you're one of those two and you don't see parts of the Bible that make you go, I'm going to have to change, you're not reading the Bible. So come back to the scriptures over and over and over again. Never stop Abide in the word of God. Abide in the truth. And then the last thing, remember who you are. In verse 26, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. What he's saying is, don't forget who you are. He says, you've been anointed. He mentions that in verse 20. He reminds us of it in verse 27. That Anointing refers to the Holy Spirit. This is something the scriptures are clear on. That if you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. He is in you. Or you're not one of God's. And that anointing, in the Old Testament, anointing, when you anointed someone, it was a way of saying, okay, you're not ordinary. You're set apart for something special when Samuel goes to Bethlehem and he finds the son of Jesse, David, and he pours oil over his head. What does he say? You're not like your brothers. You're not like anybody else. You're set apart for something special. Well, that's what God has done for us. In giving us his Holy Spirit, he's done something for us even more meaningful than for little little shepherd boy David to be told you're going to be king someday. You're a child of God right now, and you always will be. Think about that image of David. Anointed as king. But it was a long time before he took the throne. There were some discouraging moments along the way, if you remember David's story. There were times when he was a fugitive from King Saul and he said, I, I feel like a, a flea in the desert being chased. I, I, I feel like I'm, I am I had no home. There were, there were times when he wanted to give up. You know there were two times when David got so discouraged he defected to the Philistines, thought I'll hide amongst the enemy and then at least King Saul can't catch me. And yet, His anointing didn't change. God didn't let him forget who he was. God always brought him back. When it says no one needs to teach you, he's not saying that it's wrong to do what we're doing right now and have somebody teach the Bible. I mean, after all, if that was the case, John wouldn't have written this book. He's teaching us the truth. What he's saying is you don't need any new truth you don't need some new revelation. Somebody comes along and says, I've I got a new word for the Lord. You don't need to listen to that person because we have the word of God right there in front of us. So when all else fails, we know that God is real because he's in us. There's that song I think most of us know and love. You've asked me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. So tend to that relationship. Be aware of that relationship and, and nourish it. Invested. I'll just stop with this silly little story that I think illustrates what I'm talking about. Um, Carrie and I had been married a couple of years, and we went to the Humane Society and adopted a little dog, a uh, little brown mutt, one ear straight up, one ear flopped over. Um, we named her Rudy after Rudy Huxtable from The Cosby Show, <laughs> and she was she was our child. We took her everywhere. She slept in bed with us, I'm sorry to say. Um, treated her like a kid. And I think she thought she was a person. She acted like it. She did act like a dog in many ways. One time uh, we decided to go on vacation and said, uh, you know, where we're going, we can't bring Rudy, so let's go take her to my parents' house. Leave her with them for a week, and then I'll come pick her up. But my parents, they're like normal humans. They don't let dogs sleep in their bed, right? They they have dogs that are treated like dogs. So Rudy lived among the, the, the dogs for a week, had a great time, ran, played, chased stuff. When we got home, there was a good two or three hours where she didn't act like she knew who we were. And I said to Carrie, I think she's, realized she's a dog. I don't think she thinks she's our kid anymore. Now she kind of snapped back into it. and, And, you know, eventually she was all over us and everything was fine. But I think about that and I think about we are children of God. And yet we live in a world where people don't follow him. And we can easily forget who we are. The answer is not to shun the people who live around. That's not what God means. When we looked at last week and said, don't be afraid of the things of this world. The answer is: don't forget who you are. Attend to your relationship with the Lord. Every day you've got to spend time with him. You might say, well, that's, that's a lot of work. Well, that's relationships, people. Can you name a relationship that works if you just check in every once in a while not an important one in order to have a real relationship with someone you have to spend time with them you have to let them speak to you and correct you challenge you and encourage you don't forget who you are don't let the world tell you who you are because God has already told you who you are in Christ all right I I appreciate y'all listening. I appreciate you not throwing rocks at me. And uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your truth. Lord, I pray that we would have wisdom to know how to apply your truth. I thank you that I had the opportunity to teach it. If I was faithful, I pray that people would listen and if not, show them what the real truth is. But we know, oh Lord, that you are Son of God, Son of Man, Savior, and coming King. And we worship you. Help us, O oh Lord, to reject anything that is false. Help us, O oh Lord, to abide in your truth. And help us to never forget who we are. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.